Okay, this is the last lesson of the spring quarter in Revelation, and the title of the lesson is The New Heaven and Earth, and this is discussing the eternal state after the end of history. The scriptures we will cover will be Revelation 21 and 22. So, Lord, we... We thank you for this glimpse of where we will end up. And um, eternity is hard to think about. So it's we can't really imagine it, but you're giving us a glimpse. And just, this is just a small glimpse. Uh, there's not a lot of detail here, but what we do see is wonderful. And so we're looking forward to that. And so we pray that it will encourage us to uh, remain abiding in you until we get there. So we pray for the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first section is called the New Jerusalem, and that is verses 1 through 8 of chapter 21. Somebody up to reading that for me? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so um, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So this is different than what Jack Van Impe taught. Anybody remember Jack Van Impe? He's a prophecy teacher. Yeah, yeah he and his wife, Rexella, and he would always say the earth will continue forever. That is not what this says here. And so this, you know, this heaven and earth will go. And we saw that back in chapter 20, verse 11, where it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So, and that goes along with Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So this earth um, has a limited time. This is a new, here's a fancy word, ex nihilo creation which means it's made from nothing. And that is how this earth and heaven was made, ex nihilo, from nothing. It did not evolve out of something that was already there. The Lord spoke, and it existed. And that is how this new heaven and earth. And there are differences in it. For one thing, there's no longer any sea. Now we have seas over three-quarters of the earth. So there will be much more room for people. Only one quarter of the earth is usable right now for land animals. You know, of course, uh, the octopi and things can live out in the seas. But So that'll be a change. Then chapter 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So the New Jerusalem is holy. Now, how does that compare with today's Jerusalem? Yeah, so today's Jerusalem, and uh, of course this is in the tribulation period, but in chapter 11, verse 8, it says, and this is the two witnesses, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified, and their, you know, the Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. And there, the, uh, John is comparing it to Sodom for immorality and Egypt for bondage. The people there are in bondage. I mean, Dane talks about this on the Sabbath there. The whole place stops. The elevators won't run. 
There's no taxis. There's no method of transportation. And that's because they have not moved on from the dispensation of law. They are under the dispensation of law because they feel that the Messiah has not come. And so they have not moved into what we are under, which is the law of Christ, which is much more lenient and free. So they're in bondage. And they have their gay pride parades too. So it's Sodom. And that is compared with the New Jerusalem, the holy city. There is no sin in the New Jerusalem. And I've heard people teach and that the New Jerusalem exists today. Have you heard that taught? The reason that is taught is because of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26. I'll go back a couple of verses. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. So the reason people say that the new Jerusalem exists now is that it says the Jerusalem above is free, present tense. does not say will be free. So that is based on the tense of that verb, which is, I think it's reasonable. So the new Jerusalem is up there waiting for us. It is waiting for this to play out. And because it doesn't say that the Lord makes the new Jerusalem. He says that Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So that's kind of exciting. And then verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself will be among them. So God will dwell with men. And they can do that because there is no sin. Because God and sin do not mix. So, and then verse 4, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So this is different than the millennial kingdom. In the Millennial Kingdom, death is rare, but it is present. Um, lifespans are elongated, but people do die, and there is a sacrificial system in place. Um, with Jesus reigning in Jerusalem, um, and that's probably to, since death will be so rare, to remind people of what Jesus did, how he bought their salvation. That's probably the reason for the sacrificial system being reinstituted in the Millennial Kingdom. It won't be exactly the same as the Mosaic uh, Covenant was. But this is from Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 and verse 20. This is about the Millennial Kingdom. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So that's the millennium. Um, but here in the eternal state, their death is abolished. There is no death. So it is like God first intended things in the first two chapters of Genesis. Then verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now that's exciting. The Lord is creative, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's creative. And so he said, I am making all things new. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? We, it, It's going to be beyond belief. And he said, Write, for these things are faithful and true. That will That's something to look forward to. So verse 5, and he who sits... Oh, I already read that one. 
So then, yeah, the, it says all things are new, but very little detail is given. So we can let our imaginations run wild. But then verse 6, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So access to all of this is free for the asking at Christ's expense. And how do you get the ticket to this? Well, you believe the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus came out of eternity into time. He lived a perfect life under the Mosaic law, and he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. And so if we believe that, then he grants us eternal life, and that is our ticket to this eternal state. And um, it is all only by faith and without work. And so all of the works that we do out of faith are also factored in. But that is not how we get in. We get in only by trusting in what he has done for us. Not by doing. Trusting. Yeah. So then verse 7 he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be his son. So this, you know, the uh, quarterly had some confusing uh, paragraphs in it that led you to believe that uh, some of this is works-based. Um, it is not works-based. So the overcomer, we've mentioned this several times, is defined in First John. Chapter 5, 4, and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So if you're in that category, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you will inherit these things that are being described. That's good news. That's why they call it the gospel. <laughs> so, and then verse 8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, he describes a list of wicked works there so this is ba this is works that he's talking about and um, we are delivered from that by faith okay this describes the unbelieving this is a description of the unbelieving and look at the first sin on the list cowardly or fearful. So what does that mean? That means being fearful is a sin. We should not be afraid. So I have some scriptures to support that. One is Proverbs 28, verse 1. Christians should be the most fearless people that exist. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And you become righteous by believing in Jesus. Then Mark, chapter 4. This is the uh, account of Jesus on the boat during the storm. So it's Mark, chapter 4, verse 38 says, Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. This is why there was this huge storm going on. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So faith 
will dissipate fear. That's part of our sanctification. You know, when we're when we believe in God, we're justified, we're perfectly righteous before God. Jesus' righteousness is transferred to us, and that's why we can go to heaven, because Jesus' righteousness is transferred to us. But as we live on the earth, we can be more and more conformed to how he is practically. And part of that is being fearless, being a fearless person, because you trust him. Okay, Just like in the storm, Jesus was asleep on the boat. Why? Because he knew he could get up and stop it immediately. <laughs> you know, the Lord will protect you. And it takes time to learn that practically, that the Lord will protect you. And so there's no reason to fear. Therefore, fear is a sin. To be fearful is a sin. And so we want to grow out of that. And, and we do have to grow out of that. Okay. So that's uh, the first section, and then they skipped Revelation 21, 9 through 27, which is the description of the New Jerusalem. So let me just go over that briefly. So the New Jerusalem, as it comes down from heaven, has 12 gates. It's square. It's actually a cube. So on each of the four walls, there are three gates. And each gate has a name of a tribe of Israel. Then it also has 12 foundation stones in the base. And the 12 foundation stones have the names of the apostles written on them. So the gates are the names of the tribes of Israel. Foundation stones are the 12 apostles. And then it gives us the size of the city. The size of the city is 1,500 miles cubed. Yeah, 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. That is big. <laughs> that is a big place. 1,500 miles cubed. And then in verse 5, 17 is an interesting little tidbit. It tells us that human measurements are the same as angelic measurements. Now, did I need to know that? I don't know, <laughs> but I think I think it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That angelic measurements are the same as human measurements. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, when you measure something, you know that if an angel measured it, it would be the same measurement. So that's that's an interesting little tidbit. The walls are made of precious gemstones. Each gate is a very large pearl. So there's 12 large pearls. The streets are made of, and this is hard to think of, transparent gold. So gold that is transparent are the streets. Uh, there is no temple in the New Jerusalem because there's no need for God to shield himself from us. He shields himself from us so he doesn't kill us. Because if we in our sinful state are exposed to him, we will die. But now everyone is resurrected, resurrected bodies that are sinless without a sin nature. So everybody in this place will be like the holy angels. They'll be sinless. And so there is no threat from God to us. So we won't need a temple. The Father and the Son will be accessible to people. We will be able to see him. There will be no sun or moon. The light will be from God's glory. And then another thing to notice, you know, people, they, you ever heard people denouncing Christian nationalists? Like we're Christian nationalists? Well, they call they call us fascists for being believing in na the nation. You know, the the nation should have borders, 
that God created the nation-state at Babel when he split the nations, he split the languages, he separated them into nation-states. So that was God's idea. And in the eternal state, after history, there will still be nations. So nations are a good thing. And it's okay to have a border on a nation. That's part of the definition of a nation is to have a border. So, uh, you know, it's okay to be Christian and it's okay to be nationalist. Those are both good things. So when they use it as a, uh, as a slur, take it as a badge of honor. If they call you a Christian nationalist, just say, thank you very much. <laughs> you have borders around your homes. And the elite who don't want borders, like Joe Biden, he has a fence built at taxpayer expense around his home. And armed guards, yes. And so, so the... Uh, that's the description, uh, briefly, of the new Jerusalem, which will be our home. That will be glorious. Okay, so section B is the river of life. And that is starting in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I'll read that little piece. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, oh, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, or twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light or of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. <coughs> okay, so there's clear water coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So notice here that the thrones of the Father and of the Son are merged. You know, now we have, have the throne of the Father is in heaven, and Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven as our high priest. Um, Christ's throne will be on the earth in Jerusalem for a thousand years, and he will be in glory um, and he will rule the earth with a rod of iron for a thousand years, but those thrones will be remain separate until the eternal state, and then they will merge together, and Christ will turn over the kingdom to the Father. And so they will be a, a merged throne. So, but there's clear water from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and that makes you think of the woman by the well, in John chapter 4. This is what Jesus said to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, the physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Okay, and also, we also see a, a river coming out of the temple in the Millennial Kingdom. That is found in uh, Ezekiel 47, which we're going to be doing next quarter, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 7, verse 47, verse 12 says this, by the river on its bank, on one side on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for f food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So this sounds similar to that, but it is not the same because this is in the millennial kingdom 
and it's coming out of the temple, whereas what we see here in the eternal state is coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This does not have the tree of life on either side of its bank. It has trees on either side of the bank growing trees for food that will be vibrant. They will not wither and their fruit will not fail. And they'll bear monthly, which is similar, you know, instead of yearly, because their water flows from the sanctuary. So it's similar, but it's not the same. This is the millennial kingdom. Here we're looking at the eternal state, and this has the tree of life. The millennial kingdom, there are fruit trees. They are not the tree of life. The tree of life only appears again. Remember, it was in Eden, and it only appears again in the eternal state. So it's just, you know, you have to pay attention to the details to be able to tell the, the difference. It's similar, but it's not the same. The millennium is not the eternal state because there's still sin, because people are still born with a sin nature. That's why Jesus has to rule with a rod of iron. Um, in the eternal state, there's no ruling with a rod of iron because there's no sin nature. So people will be holy by themselves without need for correction or discipline or punishment, <laughs> which will be which will be a good thing. Okay, then uh, verse two. Yeah, it talks about the. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, which make you think, well, maybe are the nations wounded? Are the nations hurt? You know, that, that's what that makes me think of. So I looked at some commentaries, a couple of commentaries, and one was Walvard and one was Thomas. Those are, I have three. Those are the two best ones I have. And they say it's for the maintenance of the health. For maintenance of health, because there is no sickness. There's no sickness in the eternal state. There's no sin in the eternal state. There's no curse. Okay, so it's for maintenance of health, these leaves. And I'm I'm thinking that the tree of life will maintain life forever. As you take it. As you take it. It'll maintain life indefinitely. So verse 3, there will no longer be any curse, okay, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So the Lord will give you projects. He will give you a task to do. You know, I mean, work was created as enjoyment in Eden for Adam and Eve. They were they were gardeners. They were supposed to be gardeners. There weren't any weeds. There weren't any thorn bushes. And so gardening was a joy, and it was fun. And you got good, tasty things to eat from it. Yeah, it was it was enjoyable. Work was enjoyable. So that's what it's going to be like here. We won't all be sitting on a cloud strumming harp, which sounds like death by boredom. <laughs> You know, no, I mean, I'm sure the Lord will have things designed just for you that you like to do. And he'll say, I would like you to do this. I say, okay. <laughs> you know? And it will be enjoyable and fun. And um, he is infinitely creative. And so there will always be new and exciting things to do and to see. And so there's no curse. And that goes back to Romans chapter 8 where it talks about the curse. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And this is when this will be complete. In the millennium, the curse will be rolled back, but it will not be totally reversed. There will still be death. There will still be sin. In the eternal state, 
the curse will be gone. There will be no longer any death or sin. And there will be no boredom, which will be great. So in verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So we will be able to see God. That just freaks you out. So this is from Exodus. This is when Moses asked to see God. Exodus thirty-three eighteen. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So that provision will be gone now. You will be able to see God's face, and that will not kill you at that time. And then verse 5, there will no longer be any night, so I guess we won't get tired. I don't know. That, 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 that's hard to think about because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't want to go to bed. When you're my age, you can't wait <laughs> to go to bed. It's time. <laughs> yes, I'm ready for bed. Yes. So, uh, so I guess you'll be like a kid again <laughs> in that time. There'll not be night, and they'll not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, I was thinking about this. Reign forever and ever over what? Because everyone will be sinless and reigning. So I'm thinking it's reigning over the creation like it was originally intended. When God first, in Eden, he said, I want you to reign over the beasts of the earth, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and manage my creation for me. And, uh, you know, we immediately blew it and turned it over to Satan. But so I think it, it will be like that because the, the humans are made in God's image. The other things are not. And so we will reign over non-human creation, which would include the animals yeah, well, well, under his authority, you know, I think we'll be uh, ruling over this second creation with him. Um, so that makes me agree with Jenna that there will be animals and things there, <laughs> yes, you know. And I, I thought that her what she said, it really struck me, you know, we will be riding out of heaven on horses. Those are animals. And... Uh, yeah, so I, I do think that'll that'll be happening. Okay, so that's that section. The next section is section C called the Exhortation to Obey. And that's verses 6 through 11. Somebody want to read verses 6 through 11, chapter 22? Okay, thank you, Shirley. Yeah, so verse 6, these words are faithful and true. This is God's word. And so this is what Psalm 119.89 says of God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. So God's word is settled forever in heaven. And Jesus said about God's word, Jesus answered in John 10, 34 and 35, Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. It stands forever in the heavens. Jesus is saying these words are faithful and true. Now these words are hard to Take, they're hard to take because they're so wild. They're so out there, you know. Um, but they are words of God. This will happen. So, Jesus is saying, these words are faithful and true, I'm telling you. Believe it. Listen to it. You know, most of the church ignores Revelation because they think it's too hard to understand. 
They think it's too hard to understand, and so they ignored it. Yeah, even though there are seven blessings in it, two of those blessings are just to read it. <laughs> you know, just to read it, and you'll be blessed. So, but, um, you know, how many times do you hear uh, sermons on Revelation? Very rare. Very, very rare. We have it here because I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> so when it comes up, I'll do it. But, but yeah, they, they, they ignore it. So anyway, verse 7, And behold, I am coming quickly, and here's another blessing. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, so the Lord wants you to take it to heart. This is the sixth blessing. This is similar to the blessing, the first blessing, which is in chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time, of, for the time is near. Now, most of the things that you are to heed are in chapters 2 and 3, because those are the instructions to the churches. Yeah, the instructions to the churches are what he would like us to heed, because that is in our time in which we exist and how he would like us to conduct ourselves. Chapters 4 through, you know, 22 are descriptive of what will happen in the tribulation period. We will not be in the tribulation, so we don't have to heed anything related to the tribulation. We just He's just telling us this is what will happen. Um, so the things that we are to heed really are in the instruction to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, you know, basically to abide in Christ. That That's kind of the synopsis of what that says. So then verse 8, I John, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So John is testifying, yes, this is true. And then John falls into idolatry for a second time in the book. When I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So it can happen. <laughs> it happened to the apostle John twice. In, in this, it, I'm sure it was overwhelming, overwhelming to receive this revelation. And he, so he kind of forgot things and started worshiping the angel who was transmitting this to him. Um, so, no, we don't want to fall into idolatry. We, and so John is corrected by, gently by the angel. Verse 9 says, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Worship is only appropriate, directed to God. If you worship anything else, that is an abomination, because he is the only one worthy of worship. Nothing else is worthy of worship. So uh, we were created to worship him and him alone. And when we misdirect it, which we all do, that's kind of the thing. That's kind of our thing. <laughs> we worship what we want, or we worship a person, or we worship a political leader, or we worship an ideology or something, you know, anything. But the only appropriate direction for worship, and we are made to worship, we will worship. But the only appropriate recipient of that worship is God himself the triune God. So then in verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Now this contrasts with what an angel told to Daniel in the 6th century BC. This is at the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. And verse 4, it says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. Well, why did the angel tell Daniel to seal it up? And John, do not seal it up. In Daniel's time, the Messiah had not come. 
the Messiah's first coming was still future. So the Messiah had to come and be presented to Israel and be rejected. That was God's plan from eternity past to save humanity. It was through that mechanism where the Messiah would come to Israel. Israel would not believe. They would turn him over to the Gentiles. He would be crucified unjustly, and that would be to pay for the sin debt of the world. And now that has happened. And the rapture is an imminent thing. It can happen at any time. And so that's why, since this was written, Jesus could have come at any moment since the time of this writing. No, he hasn't. Okay. But he could. Because nothing needs to happen before him to come. We're not going to see a sign before the rapture. We won't see a sign. We'll just be in heaven. What? What happened? <laughs> Where am I? You know? That's why we're waiting. We're not watching. You know, on the in the prophecies to Israel, like in the all of that discourse and things, it says, watch. Well, where are you watching? You're watching for prophetic signs. The church is told to wait. They're not told to watch. Why? Because there's not going to be a sign. You'll just you'll just be foof, you know, zoomed up, and uh, and your res in your resurrection body. So that is why the, this prophecy is not to be sealed up. We're to pay attention to it, um, for the time is near. He is at the door. It's hanging over our heads, this good thing called the rapture, and it could fall at any instant. So then now, verse 11 is a little confusing, and I actually I discussed this with Dane because I, I didn't want to mess it up. But it says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and the, let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Now, what I had thought initially was, well, it's just talked about the eternal state. In the eternal state, there's going to be no movement. There will be no movement. You, you will be resurrected. You will be rewarded. The people who are unbelieving will already be in the lake of fire. They will be judged appropriately. There will be no movement. They will be there forever. Wherever they are to be punished, you will be rewarded. You will be where you are forever. And Dane told me no. <laughs> I, I think that is a true fact. That is a true fact. In the eternal state, there will be no improvement in you. You will be perfected. You will be glorified. And some will have more rewards than others based on their life here. Okay. The more faithful you are here, the more rewards you will have there. But everybody will be perfected in a perfected state. But he says, look at verse 12, and it's talking about rewards. Okay, and then look at verse 10. It says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. So Jesus just gave John this incredible vision of the future. And uh, if this doesn't change people's minds and cause them to follow the Lord, nothing will. Nothing will. And so, the one who does wrong, now, is that person saved? We don't know. Can you do wrong as a Christian? Yes, you can. So, or if you're a carnal Christian, and, and this does not jolt you into following the Lord, maybe nothing will. You know, and the one who is filthy, the one who is filthy, I think, is an unsaved person because Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're washed. You're washed, you know. So uh, that's an unsaved person. And again, you know, this great revelation has been shown, and if you're still not convinced, there's only so much God, God can do <laughs> to, to, to change your mind. And then let the one who is righteous, the one who is following the Lord, continue to follow the Lord, and the one who is holy, which is also following the Lord. Those two go together. 
continue following the Lord. This will encourage those people to continue to do that. So it has to do with rewards. It has to do with rewards. So Dane is a very good teacher. He helps me. My our, our young pastor is very beyond his years. Yes. So bless him. Yes, bless Dane. So yeah, so that's the end of section C. So section D is the coming of Christ. And this is to the end of the Bible. So let's read that. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which were, are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Okay, so the Lord is coming. And for us, the church, he is coming in the rapture with his rewards. And immediately after the rapture will be the Bema Seat judgment, where your works will be put through a fire. And what is done out of faith will remain as a reward. So verse 13, he says he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then we get our last blessing of the book. Blessed are those who wash their robes. You wash your robes by trusting in Christ alone. Okay? You wash your feet after you sin as a believer. And then you take 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need 1 John 1, 9 as a believer because we do get our feet dirty as believers when we sin. And so that is what 1 John 1, 9 is for, to restore fellowship when we have sinned. But the blessing is for those who believe because they are the ones who have the right to the tree of life and they are the ones who may enter into New Jerusalem. If you believe, you'll enter into the New Jerusalem. And then verse 17 is an exhortation to evangelize. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The sin the Holy Spirit convicts the world of is one sin that they do not believe in Jesus. It is the sin of unbelief. They're not convicting them of their pornography addiction. They're not convicting them of their alcoholism. He is not convicting them of their penchant for lying. He is convicting them of the fact that they don't believe in Jesus. And righteousness, because Jesus' righteousness was accepted, and we need the righteousness of Christ if we're going to get in, which he will give to us freely when we believe. We have his righteousness when we believe. He is convicting them of judgment because sin was judged at the cross. He paid for sin. And so if you do not have that, you will ride Satan's coattails into the lake of fire. That is the judgment that will happen if you do not accept this gift. 
So when you evangelize the lost, you should go along those lines. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is convicting the unbelieving of these things. So that is how you should talk to them. You know, there's only one, say, we don't care if you're a lesbian. The Lord does not care if you're a lesbian. The Lord does not care if you're a liar. The Lord does not care if you swear all the time. What he cares about is you don't believe in him. After you believe, the Holy Spirit will begin to work on those things. Okay? And that's sanctification. That's the process of growth. But the only thing he cares about is you do not believe in Jesus. And then you can talk about righteousness. You have to have his righteousness or you will not be allowed in heaven. Only his righteousness will get you in. He will give it to you if you ask him for free. And then if you don't take that gift, then you're riding Satan's coattails into the lake of fire. Okay, that is how we should evangelize the lost. So anyway, in the, just the last thing about adding or taking away from God's word. So there's a warning not to add or take away from God's word or you'll be judged. And I've heard people say, well, that's just about the book of Revelation. But it's also in Deuteronomy, in two places, chapter 4 and chapter 12. It's also in Proverbs, chapter 30, not to add or take away from God's word. So we, do want, we don't want to mess with God's word. The canon of Scripture is closed. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to you with a rewritten text, that is sin. When the Mormons come to you with extra books, that is sin. Okay, we don't, this is the, this is the word of God here, and we don't add to it. That's legalism. We don't take away from it. That's lawlessness. We just follow it. <laughs> okay. So, Lord, we thank you for this glimpse into the eternal state. It will be glorious, and we'll never get tired of it. And it'll be, who knows, it'll be more wonderful than we can imagine. So we're looking forward to that, and we pray uh, that you'll help us be faithful until then. In Jesus' name, amen.